Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. Hey, Senator, I just promoted you, Kwai, you see? <laughs> I don't know if I want that one. <laughs> My main man. I, I, I'm going to skip the usual opening so that we can get uh, right to it. Uh, uh, Representative Kwai Fume, and, of course, uh, uh, if I went through this bio, I might as well just read his memoir, and <laughs> then the show would be over. Uh, but, you know, man, thank you for coming on the Madison Show. I, I so appreciate it. Let me get one thing I want to talk about that that it didn't get a lot of attention, and that is you, you wrote a bill, and I believe sponsored by Senator Ben Cardin, uh, 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 called the National Council on um, um, African American History and Culture Cultural Act. What is that about? Well, Joe, first of all, let me say good morning and thank you for this opportunity. I listen all the time. And you know how people say, long-time listener, first-time caller. Yeah. Long-time listener, uh, first-time real participant. Uh, yeah, pleasure. but that's why, that's why my ears are burning because I'm sitting there going, <laughs> oh, hell, what did I say? <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, thank you very no, much. The uh, National Council on African American History and Culture Act is really designed to push back against critical race theory and what it has meant in many of our schools, both uh, uh, schools that are undergraduate, graduate, and obviously public schools. Um, And, you know, rather than to sit around and to watch critical race theory be defined by everything that it is not, I thought, and Senator Cardin did, that it would be important to find a way to create a process that buffered that. And so this bill... Uh, creates a 12-person council under the National Endowment for the Humanities to advise federal agencies, members of Congress, the president, on how collectively the government can go about helping to strengthen the teaching and learning in schools to ensure that black history and other aspects of our culture are recognized rather than removed. And so would, would how, how would members of, um, let's say, the Board of Education or uh, uh, various state education agencies interact with this uh, group? Their interaction would be more as advisory. I mean, the group is going to obviously try to collect a well of information that in many instances already exists but has to be aggregated. And so those persons at those levels would be providing advice up or certainly experience up in terms of what's happening. You know, there's a tremendous amount of book banning taking place in this country. Right. It started under the guise of let's do away with any teaching of gender or LGBTQ, uh, but it has grown significantly to now include let's get rid of black history, let's get rid of and limit Latino history, Native American history, anything that people didn't like. It was a great big fishbowl to throw it into. So it's gotten out of control in many respects. Um, I think most people believe that parents should have some say at the uh, elementary school level and secondary level in their kids' education, and that's why we have parent-teacher associations everywhere. Um, But I don't know that uh, going beyond that to Mm -hmm. allow anyone who doesn't like anything to throw it in the hopper and to say we should not teach that i don't that's just not productive particularly when it comes to the history of this country i mean you just can't eliminate and erase history i know many of us would like to do that uh, particularly uh if it's been a dark uh history but 
it is what it is. And the teaching of it and the explanation of it, I think, helps to fortify and undergird young people, uh, college students and others as they go out into the world. So now and and so uh, like when I, I would I could easily see how I could use this on my program uh, because I could refer to what the uh, National Council of African-American History and Culture comes up with, and I can reference it and, mm-hmm. and, and, and share it with the audience. That would be one way. Yeah, because there will be, uh, first of all, there's already a pool of information out there right, that's historical right. in nature. This builds on it, but most of all, this protects it. It puts a fence around it so that people just can't say, well, yeah. That is no longer important. That that happened some time ago, and therefore, uh, don't teach that on a college campus. I got it. You know, don't teach that in high school. I got so, it. Yeah, this is to kind of push back on that. I, I I got the idea because I recognized that there was no countervailing force against what I saw growing to be a large effort uh, to to limit, in many respects, just historical facts and people. By the way, that actually lived uh, and contributed in this yeah. country. Now, you also serve. Uh, Kwasi Mfumi on the House Oversight Committee. Am I correct? You still have that seat. That is correct. Yeah. What it, it help me in in the simple terms? What would happen? And I'll put it this way: What would happen if the if 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 this razor thin margin? I've been told uh, we lose at midterm. What and Republicans get power. Uh, you can approach it one way or the other, what we lose or what we gain and maintain. Well, I think it's fair to assume, based on public pronouncements by some members of that committee uh, on the Republican side of the aisle, that they consider the committee to uh, be underutilized, that it should be doing more of this, that, or the other, even though it's doing great investigative work and oversight on many issues that affect all of us in very real, real ways. I mean, whether it was the drug crisis and uh, the efforts to try to find a way to bring relief to families uh, that were victims of opioid abuse, whether it was looking at the what's happening with young people, particularly babies, I should say, and the strangulation because of the sort of products that are on the market, um, or whether it's just looking at the NFL, which which has taken place recently, and the sort of problems that have come out there as it relates to uh, efforts to protect women. The, the Oversight Committee has oversight over a lot of things. The question becomes, what will be the new direction? And so it's a good point that you bring up, because uh, Jim Comer, the ranking member, has certainly indicated he thinks that we should be investigating other things, and Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, out of Georgia was quoted in the New York Times just this past week as saying if she gets on the committee and that she's been virtually promised to be on the committee by McCarthy, that uh, the first thing she's going to do is move to uh, look to try to find a way to investigate the FBI, uh, to investigate the White House, to impeach the director of Homeland Security, to impeach the attorney general. Those sort of nonsensical, crazy, dangerous things ought to be tapped down. But there's not a whole lot of uh, comments uh, to in the other direction suggesting that that is just a poor use of the committee. So I suspect that we'll see uh, a Benghazi era all over again, where there will be one effort after another, whether it's Hunter Biden or any investigation that people on that side will choose to make. I suspect that you'll see them in droves uh, mm. just every week, a new investigation of something. 
that has uh, very little to do with, with anything other than to advance an agenda and to create a message. And they could, and that would tie up Congress for uh, for two years. It really would, because it would start in the committees. The impeachments would start in the Judiciary Committee. Right. Uh, the other investigations would start in oversight. And uh, yeah, it has the potential of just tying everything up on the floor, particularly since we don't know, I don't at least, what the Republican agenda is going to be in terms of education, in terms of health care, in terms of, of uh, basic needs of people, in terms of employment. I just don't know. I mean, they've really not said what they're going to do. They've said what they don't like. But you are absolutely correct. It will be a way to tie up the legislative process for the next 24 months. Yeah. Now, let me go to a, a couple of issues that we've been talking about, and that is inflation. I, I have been, and correct me if I'm wrong, I keep inflation, they keep bringing up inflation. One, I think, to try to offset this this rising tide against the other side as it relates to abortion and other issues, voting rights. So now they bring up inflation. But I I keep saying this. I do not hear a Republican plan on how they're going to curb or slow down inflation. There is none. (laughs) There is absolutely none. And if there is, I would certainly urge whoever has that plan to call in right now or to let somebody know. There is none. They just simply say, it's bad. We We got that. They don't like it. We got that part of it, too. But how do you get rid of it? How do you tamp it down? What is your long-term plan through the Fed, through monetary policy? They have not said that. So it's a good sort of piece of bait to throw out there because it's real. Right. I mean, you, you, you've been around long enough. You remember Gerald Ford and his administration uh, was faced with very high inflation, which they quote now when they talk about this period of inflation. And the efforts then by the Republican Party were to create a a button for people to wear. The button was W-I-N, three letters on it, and it meant whip inflation now. That was the plan under Jerry Ford, and I suspect until we see something different, that's the plan now. Rhetoric after more rhetoric to play into the fears and the uncomfortable economic conditions that some people find themselves in. Uh, uh, Congressman Kwasi Mfumi, my guest, and I want to bring up another issue that now is is creeping into the... uh, a midterm discussion, this this focus now on crime. Uh, again, abortion, well, all right, we got, uh, now it's inflation. Now it's crime. And, and in essence, what I, I suspect they're trying to sell everybody is it's a big city problem, and look who runs big cities, Democrats. Your response? Well, the big city issue is laughable because the last time that I looked, Miami, which has its own substantial crime issues, has a Republican mayor. And there are Republican mayors in cities around the country uh, that don't get a lot of focus who have crime issues. So crime is not relegated to one party or to one border. It's, It's everywhere. And I think what I've seen, I guess because I've seen this movie before, is that right before we get to a national election, the Republican Party will roll out the issue of crime, beat the drums, say, look, it's coming after you. We've got to save and protect our families and communities, and the Democrats don't care. In this instance, it's even gone beyond that. You've got Tommy Tuberville, the United States senator from Alabama, yeah. saying, saying, no, 
Democrats are not just soft on crime. They are pro-crime and that they want it and they want to take what you've got and they want to control what you have. And then he said they want reparations, the they meaning black people, because they think the people who do the crime are owed that. Now, you know, that's about as bigoted, racist, one-sided as I've, I've seen in a long, long time, but there's been no pushback. And, Joe, I hate to keep going back, but sometimes, uh, you know, we've lived these lessons before. Well, I, we, rec- it, it, we, we recognize that, yeah. that they're still here. What about 1988 when George Bush made Willie Horton yeah. the, the issue of crime? Man, look, look, hey, quality, I got, I have... I have listeners that weren't even born. We have to go back. back but, yeah. you know, there are lessons in the past. Right. And this was when this really got underway. Right. Willie, Willie Horton was released uh, on a furlough. He was doing time, life sentence, for a murder that he committed uh, in New England. Um, uh, he was released uh, because of a program there that Dukakis, who was the governor, favored. And all you saw were pictures on TV of black hands taking jobs from white people or black hands holding on to bars who were locked up. And Willie Horton became the national anthem for crime right before an election. And it is an anthem that the Republican Party plays every time there is a national anthem because it scares people. Yeah, yeah, it is fair. My final is a question or a comment part of the conversation, and we'll, I hope we can get you back uh, as, as often as possible as your schedule permit. But I want to talk about a city like Baltimore, Detroit, uh, and, and, and that is revitalizing these cities. You, you've heard this. There are people who will often say there are two Baltimores, and uh, and I, I know you, you love your city. You are reared and educated and Served on the city council, what what can you as a congressperson and what can the the feds do, our government do, to help build those areas up that need uh, re- rebuilding and make it of these communities that you grew up in, I grew up in, viable. And and I know jobs are you know used to, man. I grew up in Dayton. It was a manufacturing job, and same thing with Baltimore. People, our parents and grandparents had good paying jobs. We could buy a house. What do you do in twenty twenty one? Well, the first thing is that without a vision, the people will certainly perish. That was an old saying that is so very very true. And in order to turn around American cities, there's got to be a vision about what that turnaround looks like, how long it will take, who should be involved in it, uh, and what are the goals, and then how do you measure it on a basis, whether it's annual or every five years or what. Um, We don't always see a lot of vision in many respects about our cities. You know, we see them about our sports teams. Everybody wants to go to the World Series or win the Super Bowl. But we don't see that kind of vision with respect to, to cities unless uh, there are people working, and there are, who have looked at this long term and said, we've got to do this, this, and that. But they don't get a lot of attention, Joe. I know. Um, and, and then the federal government needs vision also because look what we did after World War II. We created a Marshall Plan. We knew that all of Europe was destroyed, all the major cities um, and industrial places destroyed. So what did we do as a country? We created the Marshall Plan. 
um, you know, targeted low-interest loans, finding a way to create a new infrastructure, assisting on the ground, realizing that it's a long-term process, but then measuring the progress against the objectives on an annual basis and, if, and every five years until you look now and you would never know that half of Europe was absolutely destroyed as a result of the war. Their infrastructure in some cases is better than ours. Their economies are holding on. And it's the idea of having a vision about taking a a city, and, and particularly cities that are the economic hub of a state, like Baltimore is to Maryland, you know, where if, if there is no Baltimore, there really is no Maryland, because everything culturally, financially yeah. is, is tied to the city. So I think it's a long process. There are a lot of people who do a lot of work in this area uh, who don't get a lot of attention, but unless... The, the government, when I say the government, I mean everybody that's in a position to govern, bring about a sense of governance that moves us toward that direction. We just right. leapfrog from one mayor to another, one administration to another, and cities are left on their own. And, and the business communities in those cities are pretty much left on their own. Yeah. I, I hate to sound so down about it. It's, it's just that there's it's, tremendous possibility yeah. if if there is a real vision and a sense of what where we ought to be going. Well, that's what the Marshall Plan was. It, it, it wasn't just throwing money at it. I mean, you're right. And and it's also something you said about Maryland. Uh, Coleman Young used to say that about Detroit when I lived there. Be, uh, and No, it, and it was uh, not Coleman Young. It was uh, William Milliken, who was a Republican governor. Mm-hmm. Who said, "As as Detroit goes, so goes Michigan." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, he said that all of the all of the time. And when I was in college, I mean, my 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 discipline was urban planning, and and that was for you know put our cities back together. And you're right; we don't get a lot of attention. I'm glad I brought the question up, and uh, I and, and and somehow we just have to. Get get that plan. We and we've said that in years past, haven't we? We need for our cities a Marshall Plan mm-hmm. that bi- gives people a chance to live in their cities. And by the way, you would agree, not displace people, right? Not displace right. people, so that they can afford to live in cities where they where they grew up. And we need good mayors who have good ideas about creating good communities. Uh, who are going to push back against the negative things, whether they're crime or anything else, and lift the very important aspects of of the of human development and communities, and and creating a a circular flow circular flow of income with business and with economic mm-hmm. matters, and making sure our institutions of higher education are are growing and breeding and creating a new sense of thought through a new group of a new generation of people who are looking at cities in a different kind of way and recognizing the real potential. Do you support President Bar- uh, President Biden's a marijuana pardon? And if and how does that, would that impact your constituents in Baltimore? Well, I support the pardon. Uh, the pardon is for uh, everybody, essentially, who has been arrested and sentenced on a low-level uh, uh, marijuana possession charge. So if you got caught with a joint uh two or three years ago, uh, got probation or got a small sentence, all of that is on your record right now. And when we look now at where we have come 
from hate in Ashbury, the days of hippies smoking mm-hmm. marijuana in mm-hmm. California, to where we are now with medical use of marijuana and a decriminalization of it. I think that is absolutely the right thing to do. First of all, it frees them from having those persons, I'm saying, who may have had that kind of a conviction uh, for usage. It frees them from now having on an application to put down that I was arrested uh, because I had marijuana on my possession when I was 24 years old. Uh, You never know how employers look at things. Uh, That gets rid of that smear, and let's hope that's the only smear that's there. But that we've evolved as a society, and when you consider that marijuana is still listed as a Schedule I drug, that means it's listed in the same way as heroin, and cocaine, and that it is much more dangerous than fentanyl and some of these other things, I think it was the right thing to do to make sure that those uh, persons with any kind of a conviction uh, for small-use marijuana possession are, in fact, uh, exonerated of that. All right. I'm glad people have a chance to hear from you, Kwasi and Fumi. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. By the way, I was an urban planning major also. Yeah. <laughs> Those, hey, man, look at us now, right? Yeah, look at us now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you, you, yeah. I, I, got, I got to tell you, it's really interesting. I was reading, as I was prepping for this interview, I was reading your, your, you know, your memoirs and, and stuff, and and yeah, I had just finished mine. I think you got a copy. Somebody, must, I, I do so. have it. Yeah, and and and, and the, I've got it in reach. It's right here uh, on okay. my, my desk. And I'm with and, you smiling, right, in a, yeah, and, in a and, nice gentlemanly way, and a, a nice note from you in it. Thank you very much. No, and I'm laughing because it, it's like our lives are parallel in a way. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's we it's went through so similar experiences. You're absolutely right. I didn't know about the urban planning part of it, but it's uh yeah, I'm just glad you're still on uh you're still on the in the game, man. I really am. Much- well, thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. I just think that uh governance leadership yeah. uh, is important accessibility, being able to raise the other question or the larger issue. Um I mean, there are two sides to every story uh and there are Two approaches to to every dilemma. Sometimes we just get the one-sided approach, and it does not benefit us as a community, as a people, or as a nation. Yeah. Kwasi and Fumi, we'll talk again. Thank you, Joe. Take care. All right. Thank you. You can listen to yours truly, Madison, the Black Eagle, live every Monday through Friday on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.